Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor. They're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated, and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're going to love them. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. You know, I know we talk so much about nutrition on this podcast, but something else that I'm really passionate about is movement, exercise, and strength training. It's something I've been doing personally for really my whole life, and, and particularly resistance training, lifting weights was life transforming for me in my teens. I grew up a really skinny, uh, insecure athlete, and uh, you know, starting to lift weights really added confidence, really improved my mental health a lot when I was a teenager. Um, obviously, my physical health, and it's something I've been doing now for 25 years. And so for, for my guest, he's an expert in this in resistance training. And so this is Sal Stefano, and he has the Mind Pump podcast, one of the top podcasts out there, mindpumpmedia.com. And he has a great new book called The Resistance Training Revolution that I was just reading. Fantastic book, guys. You got to check this out. And we're going to talk all about movement, exercise, and resistance training and the best ways to get started with this. So Sal, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's a, a pleasure for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's start by talking about the effects of movement and exercise and resistance training on our mental health, right? We have a major issue going on right now with mental health, anxiety, depression, especially, you know, coming out of COVID, things like that. And exercise is one of the best things for it. So let's start, start there. 
Yeah, no, um, that's a great place to start. So when you look at the actual studies uh, on exercise and its effects on mental well-being, what you actually find is that uh, exercise done appropriately, and that's a very important caveat, uh, must be applied appropriately because inappropriate, inappropriately applied exercise can actually be bad for you. But when you do it right and you train your body according to your individual fitness and, you know, and based on the context of your own life and stress, you see a tremendous benefit. And studies actually show that exercise has, uh, is as effective as antidepressants and uh, anti-anxiety medications for mild to moderate forms of depression and anxiety in the short term. In the long term, the studies actually trend and show that exercise is superior. And this is because the benefits of uh, properly applied exercise tend to compound um, over time. Now in that category of exercise are many different forms of movement, many different ways you can train the body. Um, and one of the, the problems, or I should, should say one of the challenges that I'm trying to address uh, with the book is really talking about those different forms of exercise and talking about the one form of exercise that is superior for most people considering the context of modern life. And so to kind of illustrate that, if we look at modern life, well, first off, I guess we could start off with the, the health issues that plague modern societies and, and kind of the, the main umbrella issue, the one that most people are familiar with is obesity, of course, and obesity uh, is an umbrella issue that kind of contributes to a lot of other issues. Um, Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, osteopenia, cancers, heart disease, uh, diabetes, uh, you know, hormone issues and all those things. Although you don't have to be obese to get some of those issues, uh, obesity definitely contributes uh, to those things. And so you, you look at that, that's the, those are the main issues, these kind of chronic health issues that Western medicine really has no solution for. And uh, then you consider you know, maybe what's causing that? Well, we live very, very sedentary lives, so we don't move very much. Our lives have been organized and designed on purpose that way. We've done a very good job of eliminating physical stress mm -hmm. from our lives. Um, so, you know, the average person, I would say, and this is just, you know, I'll speak for my clients, the people that I trained, which typically were the average person. You know, if I track their steps, we're lucky if we get four 4,000 steps a day, which you could usually get with about an hour straight walk, maybe a little more for the whole day, right? So very, very little movement. Then on top of it, we're surrounded by hyper palatable, uh, easily accessible food. So it's just like this, this environment where we don't move much, plus we have all this food that's accessible to us that we tend to overeat. It's engineered to do this, by the way. So it's very, very good at that. And we've developed kind of eating habits and behaviors mm -hmm. around that. We've become very weak. So strength has dropped considerably. In fact, there was a, a study that uh, I, I quoted on the show that was quite remarkable. They went and tested the grip strength of college-aged males. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing this particular test for decades. And they found that college-aged males today have the equivalent grip strength uh, that a 60-year-old had in the 1980s, wow. just to go, just to get, illustrate kind of how far down uh, we've gone. We're noticing lots of hormone issues. I, I'm sure I don't have to tell you or your audience that you're in functional mm -hmm. medicine, so I'm sure you see a lot of these issues. Yeah. Testosterone levels have been declining in men for decades. Uh, in women, we're seeing lots of hormone and fertility issues start to pop up. So the, these are the issues that we're kind of dealing with. And then on top of it, uh, we're, although we're sedentary, although we're surrounded by all this food, although life has been made physically easy for us, we're also very busy. So it's this weird dichotomy, right? Like 
We're not moving much, but our schedules are, are jam-packed. And so what that produces is a situation where it's very hard for people to, well, first off, if they want to be active, they have to schedule it. Normal life isn't going to produce lots of activity for you. And scheduling it can be very challenging because we're so busy. Um, and so the most we can hope for, if we're talking to the average person in terms of getting them to be active on a consistent basis, is probably about two or three days a week of some kind of structured exercise. Now that's not you know, perfect. That's not ideal, of course. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, we would be able to find structured exercise and activity every single day, but we have to be realistic. And if you're gonna take the average person and get them to do anything consistently, which is hard to do, um, to add to their schedule, what we can hope for is about two or three uh, days a week. Yeah. So when you look at all that, then you look at, okay, what form of activity is just going to give us the most bang for our buck? Which one is going to make the biggest impact with the, with the least amount of time dedicated to doing it? We have to consider that because uh, mm -hmm. we have to live in, in, in reality. Um, and when you look at all the forms of exercise, and examine the effects and the amount of time that you need to spend doing it in order to get those effects. The, the superior form of exercise, it becomes very clear. It's actually head and shoulders above the others. And that's resistance training or strength training. Now, uh, I want to define that real quick because yeah. I think sometimes people get a little confused in terms of what constitutes the type of resistance training that I'm talking mm -hmm. about. So it's not just moving or exercising with resistance. It's using resistance specifically in a way to elicit strength and muscle gain. Okay. So I could take a pair of dumbbells and I could use them in a way that's very much like cardiovascular activity. I could go and do a circuit or I could do lots of exercise with no rest and work on endurance. That's not the kind of resistance training that I'm talking about. I'm talking about literally using resistance, whether it's body weight, bands, machines, free weights in a way to build muscle and strength. And the book that I wrote, The Resistance Training Revolution, what, it, what I'm trying to do in that book is change uh, the stigma and the stereotype and the misunderstanding that the average person has surrounding resistance training. Mm. The average person, when they think about exercise to improve their health, and even the average doctor, uh, even today, when they recommend a form of exercise to their patients for any reason to improve their health, it's almost never resistance training. It's almost never the first form of exercise. It's almost always, you know, vigorous cardiovascular activity. And this is not just uh, ineffective, especially in comparison to resistance training, but in many cases, especially when you consider the context that I just painted uh, earlier, actually counterproductive, actually can produce a situation in which not only will you not get the type of uh, results and the type of, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the feedback or the success that you're looking for, but you're also creating a situation in which sustainability is almost impossible. And by the way, the evidence is very clear. 85 to 90% of people who embark on a fitness and health journey in order to improve their health or lose weight fail as 85 to 90 percent so we can pretty much say you're going to fail if you approach your health and fitness with what i refer to as the old paradigm the old um you know the formula that we've been told 
for so long uh, that is supposed to help us when in fact it doesn't. Now, I'm sure people are watching right now and they're a bit confused. What do you mean? How, how could this be possible? Um, so if, if it's okay, I'd like to kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we've been told cardio, count your steps, right? Um, you know, get your heart rate up to a certain level for a certain period of time. And I know I, I did a lot of training and exercise physiology and, you know, that was really, I have a master's degree in it. And that was my, my one of my PhDs that was overseeing my uh, education in it, um, was huge into running huge, into, yeah. <clears throat> right. Really big into it. You know, she thought like the epitome of, of health really was running like a half marathon or a marathon. And, uh, you know, it was all about heart rate and, um, you know, your VO two max and things like that. But, you know, for me personally, and I'm a very thin individual uh, running is easy for me, but I didn't never felt as good running as I feel when I'm resistance training, actually lifting weights and putting on muscle makes me feel so much better mentally, physically. I feel so much healthier doing that. Yes. And by, by the way, you're not alone. This yeah. is, it, this is everybody. If they apply it properly, this is the experience that everybody will have. Now, I do want to be clear. Um, all forms of exercise applied appropriately have value. So yeah. if you do them right, you're, you're, and you're not, and it's compared to not being active, mm -hmm. you're going to improve your health. It's good to move, but here's why the old paradigm is so detrimental or at least ineffective at the very least. Okay. So this is the old paradigm that we've been told. So obesity is the big issue, right? And so what we've been told is, all right, in order to lose weight, we have to create an energy imbalance. So what does that mean? That means that if we're burnt, we need to burn more calories or more energy than we take in, or to put it differently, take in less calories than we burn. And when that happens, because we're burning more than we're taking in, our body is seeking for that energy from itself. And so we end up losing weight. And of course, the goal is to lose body fat. Yeah. Now that is true, right? That's that's a fact. That's a, a law of thermodynamics. Now it's more complex than that. There's lots of stuff that happens in that process that can affect how you know how how it really works and what kind of weight your body loses and are you actually becoming healthier? And I'm sure you cover this quite a bit in your blogs and in your podcast. But generally speaking, that is very true. Now here's the problem. The problem is that here's the formula: calories in, calories out. And they look at the calories in part and they say, okay, eat less. Okay. Although it's much more complex than that, but they'll say, okay, let's eat less. And then they'll say, okay, here's the calories out part of the formula. What we should do is we should look at exercise and value it for how many calories it burns. So if the idea is to burn more calories, then when we look at all the forms of exercise, what we should do is we should recommend the form of exercise that burns the most calories and just tell everybody, Hey, do this because it burns more calories than these other forms of exercise. Now, in that particular case, it becomes very clear that cardio is superior, and it's true. Cardio burns more calories per time spent uh, doing it than any other form of exercise. So if you go run for an hour, you're gonna burn more calories than if you do an hour of yoga, an hour of Pilates, or an hour of resistance training. This is very true. The problem with this is that we've completely ignored the real benefits of exercise, the main benefits of exercise, which are how does this form of exercise get my body to adapt? What are the adaptations? And then what does that mean? That's the most important thing. In fact, one of the least important things, one of the factors that 
really doesn't make that big of a difference when it comes to exercise is how many calories you burn while you do it. Mm. It's very true. That's actually, if we were to list all the benefits of every form of exercise, the calories burned while doing it uh, would be at the bottom in terms of what we should consider. Now, here's why, because people, again, I'm sure they're confused and saying, well, I thought burning calories Mm. uh, was a good thing. Well, here's why. If we consider the adaptation process, what we tend to find, the adamant, now, real quick, I'll get into that. The adaptation process essentially is your body getting better at the form of exercise mm. that you're practicing. So if I go run and I never run, let's just say, so I say, okay, I'm going to start running. I go outside and I go run. One block is going to be really hard. Uh, it, it's going to be very challenging for me. But if I practice, my body starts to adapt and it starts to get better at running. Eventually, I can run two blocks, three blocks, a mile, and so on. That's because our bodies perceive exercise as a stress and the body's always trying to get better at handling the stress and just essentially getting better at whatever you're throwing at it. It's adapting. That's what, that's what your body's survival. Absolutely. The difference between, you know, you running from a predator or you just running to get fit. Absolutely. So, okay. So, so here we go. So I go out and I do this running because I said, because again, you know, everybody telling, tells me, it burns the most calories. So that's what I'm going to do, right? Well, here's how my body adapts to running. Now, performance-wise, it improves its endurance. So I'm going to get more endurance. Not necessarily a bad thing. This is uh, There's some benefits to that. Um, but in order to improve its endurance, and in order to get better at running, my body actually, one of the primary adaptations to cardiovascular activity is to become a more efficient calorie-burning machine. Now, when I say efficient, think of an efficient car, okay? Think of a a car that is very efficient with gas. What does that mean? That means you get a lot of miles per gallon. That means the car is burning very little gas for the distance that you travel. This is what happens to your body. Your body learns to burn less calories doing that particular form of activity. And one of the main reasons why it does this is because it burns a lot of calories while you do it. You need endurance, and you also need very little strength, very little strength. In fact, cardiovascular activity requires so little strength that your body pairs muscle down in order to accomplish the other more important adaptations, which are, you know, calorie efficiency. Uh, By the way, this isn't just my experience training, and I trained clients for over 20 years, and I saw this all the time. It was, it's not just my experience. There are studies that highlight just how remarkable our metabolisms are in terms of how they adapt to this type of activity. There's a study that I quote in the book that was pretty groundbreaking when it was first done. Scientists went to Northern Tanzania and studied a modern hunter-gatherer tribe. Okay, so Mm -hmm. these people, the Hadza tribe, these people live the way that we probably lived, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. So they don't have technology. They don't have cell phones and televisions. They move a lot. Their days consist of gathering and their days consist of hunting. And the way that they hunt is the way that we probably hunted thousands of years ago, where they'll throw a spear at an animal, wound it, and then run after it until it dies uh, or collapses from exhaustion. And so they're extremely active, okay? In comparison to the average Westerner, yeah. It's it's insane how active they are compared to us, right? So scientists went down there and some and through some pretty sophisticated testing, 
wanted to determine the amount of calories that these people burned every single day. Now, the hypothesis was, well, if the average Westerner is burning, you know, 1800 calories or 2000 calories a day, sitting on their couch and, you know, sitting in a car and at a desk, well, these people must be burning 8000 calories a day, right? Because they're just moving so much. Well, what they found was actually at first shocking, uh, but then made a lot of sense. What they actually found was that these modern hunter-gatherers with all their activity actually burned similar amounts of calories to the average Western couch potato. Okay, mm. so they were moving like crazy. Yeah. Yet they were burning similar calories to the guy that, you know, barely moves all day long and sits at his desk. How is this possible? Well, if you think of evolution, it makes perfect sense. It would be evolutionarily disadvantageous for humans to burn 8,000 or 10,000 calories a day living as hunter-gatherers because finding eight or 10,000 calories a day is impossible in nature. It's very challenging. Like we take for granted the amount of food that we have accessible to us. But if you live as a hunter-gatherer, the calories are very hard to come by. You don't kill an animal every single day. You're lucky if you kill one a week or something like that. And many days you're fasting or eating very, very low calories. So it would make no sense for them to burn tremendous amounts of calories. So the, the human body evolved in those environments with lots of cardiovascular activity, which is what they're doing, to burn less and less calories to become super efficient. We also see this with in studies with POWs. These are people who are captured in war. They're fed hundreds of calories a day yeah. and you know for years. And what we find is these people obviously lose lots of muscle mass. They become very thin, um, nutrient deficient, but their metabolisms adapt and slow down to a crawl in order to main, keep them alive, right? So, so our bodies adapt this way and cardiovascular activity does this to us. And so let's now bring it back to the average person living in a Western modern society who's trying to lose weight. Here's what the, what the process looks like for somebody who cuts their calories and then throws cardio into their formula to lose weight. Initially, we see weight loss. So right away, we'll see some initial weight loss. Now that weight loss, and again, this is confirmed by many, many studies, but this has also been my experience. That weight loss usually consists of about 50% muscle. Okay, so if you lose 10 pounds, five pounds roughly will be lean body mass and five pounds will be body fat. Again, your body is, and by the way, your body's not burning muscle. I've heard people say that, oh, you burn muscle. That's not what's happening. Your body's paring it down again to make you better at that form of exercise. Right. So what ends up happening is you lose 10 pounds, five pounds is muscle, five pounds is fat. By the way, you're roughly the same body fat percentage you were before mm -hmm. because you lost muscle. So now you're a smaller same uh, flabbiness version of yourself. But then there's one more key element here is you now have a slower metabolism. Muscle is very, from a metabolic standpoint, from a calorie burn standpoint, is very expensive. It, 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 it needs a lot of energy to maintain and to operate in comparison to a tissue like body fat. So it's just very metabolically active. So I lost 10 pounds. And now I plateau real hard, right? So this is what people experience. Like, okay, I'm going to go run 30 minutes every single day. I'm going to cut my calories. Boom, 10 pounds is gone. I'm stuck. What do I do now? Okay, I'm left with two options. 
eat less or run more. So, okay, let's say I do that again. And then I lose a little more weight, a little bit more muscle. Boom, I plateau again. Eventually, what you if, if you're dogged and tenacious, eventually what you're left with is a scenario where I'm eating very little, I'm moving a lot, lots of structured exercise in my schedule. And I'm in order to maintain this weight that I lost, remember a lot of it being muscle, I have to keep this up. And if I go off of it just a little bit, I rebound very, very quickly. And by the way, when you gain the weight back, you oftentimes don't gain the muscle back. And when you follow the cycle, which people follow, if, if you look at the studies on, on weight loss, uh, you know, millions of Americans lose weight every year and gain it back. And uh, oftentimes the same people are losing it and gaining back over time of losing muscle and then getting stuck. And then, oh my God, I can't maintain this. And then gaining weight back, but then it's body fat is I end up with a slower and slower and slower metabolism over time. And now you're in this situation where you're like, you know, if I eat anything over 1700 calories, I yeah. get fat and I'm already overweight. Like what the hell is going on? And then you're surrounded by easily accessible food mm -hmm. and it's hyper palatable. And it's just a recipe for failure. This is, there's, it's so unsustainable. The only people that can really stick to this are people who are a bit fanatical about their routines. And oftentimes you see orthorexics in this particular category. Everybody else is like, mm. there's no balance. My life sucks. Like this feels, this is just not sustainable. Um, and this is what we've been sold for a long time. There's, there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, one of them is for, for a long time, the only form of exercise that was ever studied in terms of its effects on health was cardio. If I go back 20 years, I could, I find no studies on resistance training and health at all. All the studies were on cardiovascular uh, activity. Part of it is because animal studies are really hard with resistance training. So it's hard to get a mouse to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to lift weight. Sense, yeah. And, and the, other, the other is because resistance training was always relegated to strength athletes. And right. so nobody ever considered that this could potentially improve health. Um, and then on top of it, you have uh, media, which promotes this false narrative around resistance training that if you, you know, lift weights, you know, within a month, you'll look like a professional bodybuilder. And if you're a woman, you're going to get big and bulky and it's not good for, you know, your heart and it doesn't improve your lung capacity. And it really doesn't, it doesn't have lots of uh, health benefits. All of that is completely false. Right. So when we look at the old paradigm and we remove that wrong form of exercise and instead replace it with resistance training, we get a very different effect. Now, resistance training, although it doesn't burn as many calories uh, during the time that you spend doing it, the adaptation, the main adaptation that it's asking your body to accomplish is to increase strength, increase muscle. Now, when you combine that with a diet that is not super restrictive, so you're, so if, you're, if your adaptation is build strength and muscle, and then you feed your body in order to fuel that process, what you end up with is a metabolism that speeds up over time, a metabolism that burns more calories all the time, not requiring you to try to move burning those calories, but rather sitting at your desk, your body is burning more calories. What does that look like over time? Well, initially you don't lose as much weight on the scale as you would if you were doing lots of cardio, but the weight that you do lose is body fat. You don't lose any muscle. In fact, oftentimes you actually see some muscle gain at the same time. 
So you might actually notice on the scale that you only went down a pound or two, mm -hmm. but in reality, you lost five pounds of body fat and gained three or four pounds of and muscle. And you're losing the most dangerous form of body fat, which is visceral fat at first. Oh yeah. Oh no, we'll get into that. We'll definitely <laughs> yeah. get into that. Right. So, so here you are, you're, you're like, okay, um, I read this book or I listened to this podcast and I'm going to do strength training. Initially, again, weight loss on the scale doesn't move as quickly, although you're noticing I'm tighter, I'm smaller. Remember, fat is very voluminous mm -hmm. in comparison to muscle. Muscle is very dense. In fact, if I, if I were to magically add 10 pounds of muscle to every single person watching or listening to this podcast, they wouldn't feel any bigger. They would just feel tighter and more mm -hmm. firm in yeah. their body because it just doesn't take up a lot of space, right? So initially... The weight loss starts slow, but you are getting leaner. But then you get the snowball effect. So three months down the line, initially I was eating 1,700 calories. I'm doing, you know, two days a week of resistance training. Now I'm eating 2,000 calories and the weight loss is accelerating and I'm getting leaner. And then another three months, oh my goodness, I'm eating 2,200 calories and I'm still getting leaner. This is very interesting. And so what you end up with oftentimes at the end of this process is a leaner body. You didn't lose lean body mass. So you look good, you feel good, and we'll get into the health benefits, but you're also in a position where now you're eating more, you're eating more to maintain a leaner body. And I can't think of a better scenario, especially when you consider again, the context of modern life where it's you're the highest chance of being sustainable. Like one of the best buffers, you know, if we go back 10,000 or 20,000 or 100,000 years ago, having a fast metabolism was a, was a detriment. You don't want to be that guy or girl that's burning tons of calories because you're, you're not going to get those calories. Today, it's the opposite. If your metabolism is fast, that is one of the best buffers against the ills of, of modern life. And so it's a much more sustainable approach. Now you talked about your question and I know we went all over the place, but your question was, let's talk about how it makes you feel. Here's one of the hallmark uh, attributes of resistance training. And in my opinion, one of, the, one of the factors that nobody considers, but the science supports that it, that is in my opinion, the best selling point, the main reason why everybody should make this the, the cornerstone of their routine. Resistance training is the only form of exercise that is pro-active tissue, okay? Mm. It, it is pro-tissue. The main adaptation is to add metabolically active tissue, okay? Mm -hmm. The main adaptations of other forms of exercise, and in particular, cardiovascular exercise, is anti-tissue. Mm. It's to burn, not to burn, but to pare down muscle and active tissue. Now, why am I, why am I talking about this? Think of all the hormones associated with gaining or adding strength and muscle. And then think of all the hormones that are associated with losing strength and muscle. So let's, let's talk about those for a second. Let's start yeah. with men. Let's look at men, for example. Testosterone is the primary, I guess, most popular male hormone. That's the one that I guess you would consider what makes us male, right? It's also a very powerful driver of muscle strength and muscle size. If my body is trying to pare muscle down, one of the things that it does is it lowers my testosterone levels. By the way, the studies are uh, support this quite clearly. The lots of endurance exercise in men reliably lowers testosterone, mm -hmm. reliably. And it's just, again, 
It's because your body's adapting. Your body's like, okay, we need to reduce this muscle mass to become more efficient and effective at this particular activity that we're doing. It's going to be hard to do with testosterone up here. Let's bring that down because that's part of the process. The other thing that happens is you actually reduce what's called androgen receptor density. So these are the, the androgen receptors are the, these are the locks that the testosterone key goes into. So this is what makes the testosterone active. When you do lots of movement and exercise that reduces muscle mass, those androgen receptors, many of them close up mm. because again, your body's trying to lose muscle. Now with resistance training, the opposite is true. Resistance training reliably raises testosterone in all men, okay? Yeah. Whether your testosterone is low, in the middle, or high, mm -hmm. you will reliably get an increase in testosterone. You will also, and this is the most important thing. In fact, studies show, I, I talked about the androgen receptor density. Studies show that that actually has a bigger impact on your how, how you feel on muscle strength and yeah. well-being than the actual testosterone levels. It's the androgen receptor density mm -hmm. makes the biggest difference. Um, resistance training reliably increases androgen receptor density. Again, that's great because it's telling the body to build muscle. Your body is just organizing its hormones in a way to do so. It also brings growth hormone to mm -hmm. more youthful levels. Here's something that's a, this is a big deal now. The most by far effective way in terms of exercise to improve insulin sensitivity is to gain muscle by far. Yeah. There's studies that are done on the uh, severely obese, in fact. So these are people that are very, very, very overweight. And they have them gain muscle and lose no body fat. They'll just gain a couple pounds of muscle. And we see significant improvements in insulin uh, sensitivity. Why is that? Muscle is very insulin sensitive. Yeah. It also serves to store glycogen, which is what your body converts sugars and carbohydrates to. So it just makes your body uh, more efficient and effective at, at utilizing the insulin that you have. In fact, you'll, you'll like this. Um, this. This was really cool. There was a study down at, out of Sydney, Australia, where they studied uh, resistance training and its effects on the beta amyloid plaques that cause al Alzheimer's. This is one of the one of the things that we know contributes to this this you know brain degenerative disorder. And they said, okay, let's see how resistance training affects this. And the reason why they were looking at it is because they knew that when people gain muscle they improve insulin sensitivity. Also remember Alzheimer's is oftentimes referred to as type three diabetes by okay. researchers because there's a connection there, right? Yeah. Here's what they found. To date, it's the only non-medical intervention that has been shown to stop the progression of these beta amyloid plaques. They were, they were blown away. Like we've never seen anything that actually prevents, stops this. In fact, it started to trend at the end of the study in the reverse, they started to actually say, you know, I bet you if we continue doing this, we'll start to see a kind of backing out of this, you know, this degenerative uh, situation. And again, it's because it improves, improves insulin sensitivity. Right. When you look at women, you get this, again, in order to build muscle and strength, your body, it, it, it aims for a youthful level, youthful levels of hormones, because that's what promotes strength and muscle, right? So in women, you see this balancing of estrogen and progesterone. You see this, again, improvement in insulin sensitivity. And in women, often, and a lot of women don't know this, but testosterone is also important for women, although it plays a much smaller role. 
you also see healthier levels of testosterone in women. So women with really low testosterone get a little bit of a boost. Women with testosterone levels that are out of balance with the rest of their hormones actually start to see it balance out a little bit. And in other forms of exercise, just don't do this. So in terms of mental well-being, here I am doing this form of exercise that's getting my hormones to become more youthful. Imagine how you're going to feel, right? Yeah. You're going to feel uh, really good. And this is one of the, the effects of strength training or resistance training that I love to highlight because I think people really, they really get that. You know, I could talk about the fat loss and the strength, but when I paint this picture, they go, okay, I want, <laughs> I want those youthful hormone levels because I know I'll feel good. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment and tell you about my new book, The Fasting Transformation. I am so excited about this book. It is a functional guide to help you burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. Fasting is the most ancient form of natural medicine. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting improves your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in your body, optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and helps activate stem cells and deep cellular healing. Guys, you're gonna learn so much from this book. You can check it out, The Fasting Transformation on Amazon or on our webpage, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. So check that out now. You guys are gonna love the book. And if you have a chance, leave a review on Amazon. Thanks so much. Yeah, so critical. I mean, resistance training is really life-changing. Like you talked about, I mean, a lot of people think about it. They think, okay, building muscle, it's about just getting bulky. So, you know, the primary people that are attracted to resistance training are typically young males, right? But really it's just something all of us should be doing and all of us will benefit from. How does like, how does somebody get started with resistance training? What's kind of the best way to get started? I know you have a whole bunch of different, whole bunch of information in your book on that. Yeah, yeah. So first off, um, I, I want to mention this because you said young males tend to start yeah. uh, strength training because of the, again, they, they're, oh, I want to get big, I want to build muscle. One of the, the most tragic um, effects of this kind of false narrative mm-hmm. around resistance training is that women have been afraid to do any forms of resistance training. Still today, now it's not nearly as bad as, as it was when I first started managing gyms and, and you know I used to own a wellness facility and boy, was it really bad back then. I mean, you didn't see a single female <laughs> touching a machine or, or, or grabbing a pair of dumbbells because they were so afraid that right. they would wake up the next day looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and it's terrible because uh, women actually, they, the effects on women with, re, with, with resistance training are profound. <laughs> mm. They are simply profound with how incredible they feel and not just look, but how they feel yeah. from this form of exercise. Um, and it's, it's been really sad that they've been uh, you know, told otherwise. Um, so, um, I, you know, I forgot your original. Oh, how do people get started? Okay, that's a great question. One of the, the, I guess, the myths or misunderstandings around uh, resistance training is that it's super complex. So, oh my gosh, there's, a, there's all these different exercises. I don't know what to do. How does this work? It's so much easier to just get on a treadmill and just walk or run uh, for an hour. So like, what's the deal? Well, first off, when it comes to resistance training, any form of exercise, really, but especially with resistance training, it doesn't take much to get your body to adapt, especially if you're currently sedentary. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Kind of it doesn't kind of depends on your baseline where you're coming from, but yes, absolutely. In fact, you know, years ago, this was quite apparent to me. I was, I live in the, in, in the Bay area of California and we got really nice trails up here, up in the Hills and stuff. And I was up in the Hills one day and I was doing this hike. And as I'm hiking, I'm seeing people uh, who are jogging and they're running by me now as a, as, as a trainer, and I'm sure you probably go through this as well. It's really hard for me to not look at people's biomechanics when they're doing mm-hmm. activity. It's like, I notice right away, right? What's going on. And I see lots of feet that are pronating and supinating. And I see pelvic, you know, shifts and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> everybody, every, like nobody's running in a way that's sustainable. They're going to all hurt themselves. This is terrible. And then all of a sudden, this woman runs by me and she was just gliding. Mm-hmm. And I could see that she she had the skill of running down. She looked like she'd practiced the skill of running. And then it dawned on me, when people exercise, uh, they don't approach it like it's a skill to be learned. Mm-hmm. They approach it like it's a workout. So nobody says to themselves, I'm gonna go you know, learn how to run because it's a skill that I actually haven't practiced since I was 10 years old. Rather, they say, I'm going to go run until I get tired because I'm just trying to burn calories. This is true with all forms of exercise. Now, with resistance training, luckily, a very strong emphasis is placed on form, probably more than any other form of exercise. We'll we'll say, hey, form is everything. Form is everything. Form is everything for all forms of exercise, by the way. So here's what I tell people, and this has been very successful, is I'll tell people, look, here's the deal. I don't want you to work out with resistance training. I want you to practice the skills of -hmm. resistance training. Okay. So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to do resistance training. I read Sal's book. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out my legs instead of doing that. And I talk about this in the book, go to the gym and say, I'm going to practice the skill of squatting, Mm. or I'm going to practice the skill of a lunge. And so my goal, just like if I was learning a sport, you know, if I never played basketball before, I wouldn't just grab the ball and run as hard as I could. I would practice the technique and skill of it, right? That's how you should approach resistance training. Don't say to yourself, I'm going to work out. Say to yourself, I'm going to practice. And, 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 and here's the key. The basic movements are the most valuable. There's a lot of movements. There's a lot of exercises. There's an almost infinite variety of ways to do each exercise too. But really, it's the basic ones. So what are those? Squatting. Okay, that's a basic movement, some kind of a pressing movement. So it could be a push-up or a bench press or some kind of a prone press, right? Rowing, right? Where I'm pulling something to my body and pulling my shoulder blades back. That's a very basic movement. Pressing above my head, getting that full extension. Some kind of a lumbar flexion movement, like a sit-up or something that strengthens my core would be something basic maybe something that includes rotation. That's something basic. And that's it. That's really it. So what you do is you go and you say, I'm going to practice one movement in each of these categories, or maybe one movement in three of these categories. And I'm just going to practice it. I'm going to do a few sets. I'm going to do some repetitions. And my goal is to get better at actually doing this movement, to make it look perfect, to make it feel perfect. If you do that, you will get far better results, especially in a long-term consistent basis than if you go and you try to work out, if you try to sweat or make yourself sore. In fact, 
Here's a rule of thumb. You should have more energy at the end of your workout than you did at the beginning of your workout. Mm. You should not at the end of your workout feel like you just went through war, like you just went through battle and you're exhausted. I know that mentally we love that sometimes and it feels like a huge accomplishment. And and in some cases there's benefit to pushing your body and being able to accomplish some of those psychological feats of going through pain and all that stuff. Save that for later when you're much more advanced. Honestly, you 100%, you need to feel more energized and better at the end of your workout. And the days after, you should not feel any soreness. Or if you do, it should be so minimal that you have to search for it. You know, so if, if I came to you and I asked you, I mean, this is what I would do with my clients. I'd say, hey, we had a great workout on Monday. How do you feel today? And they'll say, oh, I think, I don't, I don't know, I feel okay. And I'd say, can you stretch for me? I'm like, oh yeah, I feel a little bit when I stretch. Perfect. Now, if my client said to me, oh my gosh, I had trouble getting out of bed today, or, oh, every time I sit down on the toilet, man, my legs are hurting. We went too hard, yeah. too hard. Now, why, why is this is so important? Is it because I'm trying to prevent you from hurting yourself and all that stuff? I mean, that's part of it. But here's the real reason. When it comes to resistance training, in particular, the right dose will get you there the fastest. Mm. More than that, will get you there slower, and less than that will get you there slower, okay? More than the right dose makes your body focused on healing. It's not, it's not focused on adaptation. Yeah. It doesn't have the capabilities or the resources. If you're really sore and you beat yourself up, uh, your body isn't thinking, we, we, you know, let's adapt, let's add strength, let's add, it's thinking heal. Yeah, driving information. Yeah. Yeah. I got to heal this first. Yeah. You know, people who do this, who beat themselves up all the time, I call this the breakdown recovery trap. Mm -hmm. They break everything down, get really sore. They wait a week. Then they go back to the gym. They get really sore. They go back and they end up not improving. All they're doing is breaking things down and healing. There's never any opportunity for their body uh, to adapt. They're just doing uh, too much for their bodies. So the right dose is going to get you there the fastest. And if, you're, if your goal is to feel more energy at the end of the workout, and your goal is to maybe feel a tiny bit of soreness or no soreness, and your goal is to practice the exercise, more often than not, you'll be applying the right dose. And it's actually self-regulating. As you become stronger, as you become more fit, if I go in and practice the squat again, and last week I did it you know, with, uh, with no weight or maybe last month, you know, for the whole month I did it with no weight and now I'm doing it. I'm like, my form is perfect. This is really easy. Let me add a little bit of weight and continue practicing my form and technique and, and practice this movement. You'll get the self-regulating effect where mm -hmm. you, you, you slowly progress yourself. And that's, that will get you there the fastest. Any more than that will actually get you there a lot slower. And I, I like to use this example to kind of illustrate a little bit further. If we use another form of adaptation as an example, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about our, our skin's ability to tan or to darken in response to the sun, right? So when you go outside, your, your skin gets exposed to these ultraviolet rays and it's a, it's a, it's a mild stress on the body, on the skin, and so your body tries to adapt. And what it does is it darkens so that it can take that same amount of exposure next time. Okay. And then of course, if you want to get darker skin, 
you you extend the time that you spend out there. Now, what happens if I've been living in my mom's basement for three years and I never get any sunlight, and then I go outside and I go, I'm going to go and just hammer myself with the sun, right? I'm going like to. That's it. <laughs> You're going to burn yourself. You're not going to tan. Your body's going to get. It's just going to be trying to heal. So. If you're listening to this and you're not exercising or you have it in a while or you're not doing it consistently, you approach it the same way a little bit. I'm going to go and I'm going to practice and do a little bit and you will get far better results. So that's the way that you should start with resistance small, training. Small incremental stressors that your body can adapt to and you get stronger, more stress resilient. And you also are training your nervous system. A lot of those movements you got to really train your nervous system. You have to develop a level of kinesthetic intelligence to be able to do these movements properly. And that's so critical in the beginning. And then after that, you're able to start to handle a little bit more weight, a little bit more resistance and build the muscle. Yeah. I mean, we're, okay. So we're talking, we're focusing a lot on muscle, but you know, it's, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the central nervous system, the central nervous system, which of course involves the brain and the nerves and, you know, that adapts uh, just as much, if not more, especially early on, than muscle. Why is that important? Think of it this way. Think of your muscles like speakers. So you have a stereo system, right? You got your speakers. The central nervous system is the amplifier. You could have the most sophisticated speakers in the world, but if your amplifier is weak, you're not going to get any sound out of those speakers. Our central nervous systems are what tell the muscles to contract, to work together, our central nervous system is what tells them to fire in unison, to stabilize, to stay steady. That is a very, very important part mm -hmm. of becoming healthy and stronger and building muscle and burning body fat. Here's another example that I think people will get. If I do some stretching right now, let's say I, let's say I go to touch my toes and like I'm this far away from my toes, right? If I stretch and hold that stretch for a minute, I'll eventually be able to touch my toes within the same session. Okay. My muscles didn't get any longer. Hmm. My central nervous system adapted. adapted. Yep. It's the central nervous system that told the muscle to relax. That's what I'm training mm -hmm. when I'm doing that. So you are training this. In fact, train the central nervous system and the muscle will follow yeah. the and results will follow. for preventing injuries too. It's so important. The healthier your central nervous system is, the better your balance um, your ability to know where you are in space, a term called proprioception, um, that's going to reduce injuries. And, you know, what puts more people in the hospital than anything else, right? A slip or a fall, right? Different types of things like that. So, I mean, resistance training really helps prevent against a lot of those things. Oh, yeah. And your, and your CNS, the central nervous system, it, it, it's, always, it's always looking to protect you. Yeah. Okay. So... We've heard those stories of the the mom whose you know kid gets trapped under the car, and then all of a sudden she summons the strength to move the car, in, injures herself in the process, but is able to save her baby. <laughs> under that extreme duress, right, that stress, her central nervous system said, "Fine, we're going to tear muscles, we're going to hurt ourselves, but we need to activate." Right? There's a tremendous amount of power uh, that is available that's untapped in mm -hmm. our central nervous system. And what happens when we don't train ourselves and, you know, here's the thing about, about resistance training. There's this myth that the, probably one of the worst myths around resistance training that it creates tight muscle bound 
physiques. Like, oh, if I do resistance training, I'm going to get tight and stiff and I'm not going to be able to move. Okay, no, that's not true. In fact, we now have studies that actually show that resistance training done properly right. actually mm -hmm. Im improves functional flexibility better than stretching. Yeah. Better than stretching. Now, the key is the term functional flexibility. Functional flexibility is I am flexible, but I have strength and mm. control in that range of motion. So earlier, before we started the podcast, you and I were talking about, we, we both have young children. Mm -hmm. I have a baby at home. He's seven months old. Okay. He's extremely flexible. I mean, I could take his feet and put them by his head and put them in the splits. Okay. But he can't stabilize himself at all. <laughs> you know, in fact, if he sat on the floor in the splits, uh, and if he tried to move really quickly, he might actually hurt himself. He's actually unstable. He's got the range of motion. Hmm. He doesn't have the strength and the control. A lot, most of us think increasing our flexibility is going to reduce our risk of injury. If you increase your flexibility, but you don't have any strength or stability in that new range of motion, you actually increase your risk of injury because now you have these ranges of motion that you don't have any access to in terms of control and you can really hurt yourself. This is why people will bend down in the, in the shower, twist, and oh, you know, they, they hurt their back. They don't own that range of motion. Resistance training done properly, it, it involves full ranges of motion, right? And you're doing it with resistance, appropriate resistance. And so what you're doing is you're strengthening this range of motion. So it's the difference between somebody who can get in a squat and somebody who can get in a squat, and if they need to, they can get out of it real quick, or their kid jumps on their back and they don't get hurt, or they can hold something or, or use resistance in that deep squat. Resistance training provides, it actually trains functional flexibility. So although you're not going to get flexible like a yogi or a, a contortionist, if you're interested in the kind of flexibility that prevents injury yeah. and pain, Full range of motion, appropriately applied resistance training is superior. By the way, here's more evidence. What's the primary form of exercise that is used in rehab? Resistance training. Bands, body weight, and yeah. tension. So when you're injured and you go to a PT, that's what they do with you, is they do resistance training because it prevents injury. Yeah, so important, so important. So guys, you definitely want to check out the book, The Resistance Training Revolution. I was just looking through it. He's got some great ideas in here. He's got the Total Body Anywhere program, the Total Body Dumbbell program, Total Body Home Gym program, because you never know what people have access to. And the great thing about resistance training is you don't have to go to a gym. Like you don't have to have a gym membership. Yeah. It's great. It's great to be able to have tools like that, be able to have, you know, Nautilus equipment and, hammer strength and dumbbells and things like that, but you really don't need any of that to get started and start building muscle. And he goes through that in the book yeah. and I'll let you touch on that. And, and any last words on things that you go through in the book that I think my audience will, will really get a lot out of. Yeah. So um, you, yeah, you don't need any equipment to do your, your yeah. body weight is, is plenty. If your goal is to improve your health, your strength, your body composition. So in other words, you want to get leaner, more sculpted, you want to look good. Uh, body weight is is plenty. Um, you don't need dumbbells or weights. Now, those are great. They're great tools. They open up more variety, but you don't need that kind of stuff. And I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, again, that's another myth that you need lots of equipment. You don't need equipment. You can just use your body weight, maybe a pair of resistance bands, which will cost you 30 bucks and 
you could storm in a you know very small space. They don't take up much space. Yeah. Um, so they, they make a big difference. Um, the kind of body that you'll in health that you'll accomplish if you do this um, in combination with you know good nutrition is a lean, sculpted, resilient body. It's a body that there is this. This is one more thing I'd like to touch on. Yeah. There's no such thing as permanent results from working out. Whatever you do, you have to maintain in order to make to keep those results. However, resistance training gets about as close to the the promise of permanent results uh, as any other form of exercise because of a wonderful. This is a this is an observed phenomenon you get with resistance training that has been studied now time and time. It's plenty of studies done on this. Those of us who've worked out with with weights or resistance know what I've experienced this. Something called muscle memory. It's this is a real phenomenon. If you if it took you a year to gain ten pounds of muscle, okay, to, to speed up your metabolism, to feel more sculpted, to improve your health, it took you a year of consistent exercise to gain ten pounds, and then for whatever reason, you get sick or injured or you just don't work out anymore and you lose all 10 pounds of lean body mass in a three month period. And then you decide you're gonna get back to it and start exercising again. You'll gain back that 10 pounds in a month. That's mm. how, f- that, that muscle memory is when you gain muscle yeah. and you lose it, gaining it back is remarkably fast in comparison. So you get this kind of almost this permanent effect. What else does this mean? It means if you take a week or two off, you don't get this huge decline in metabolism. You don't get this decline in results, you don't know, oh my gosh, I had a weekend with my husband at the, you know, and we went on vacation and, or we went to, you know, spend the night somewhere and oh my God, I gained a bunch of weight. Oftentimes you take off time and you come back and like, oh, I feel and look the same. So you produce these very resilient, um, you know, type of uh, results. So I wanted to say that because I think that's uh, another, because again, most people are not consistent week in and week out. Uh, They're going to take some time off. And it's, once you build that, in fact, there was a study that showed that roughly whatever it takes you to get strength and build muscle and get that metabolism boost, when you get there and if you maintain it for a little while, one ninth of the volume that it took to get there is required to keep it. Okay. So wow. that's remarkable. Yeah. So whatever you did to get there, if you just want it, and by the way, those of us who've been doing this forever, I know this. Like, in order to keep my strength now as a 42-year-old man, I need to do a fraction of the workouts that I did when I was first starting to work out in my teens and 20s, where it was like, I got to do a lot just to get my body to a certain point. Now it's like maintaining it's very, very easy. This is a wonderful, wonderful uh, feature uh, of, of, of resistance training and strength training. Um, one more thing that I touch on, and I know nutrition is a big one for you. Yeah. Because of my experience working with uh, everyday average people, and I did this for over two decades, over the 20 years that I did this, I really started to see what really worked in terms of sustainable n- nutritional um, changes. Like, what is sustainable? I'll tell you what's not sustainable. Tracking your calories, tracking your macronutrients, counting your food, uh, you know, meal plans, completely unsustainable. What is sustainable is finding ways to modify your behaviors that don't involve you counting and being conscious of stuff all the time. That kind of feels 
more natural uh, in terms of, you know, just on a day-to-day -day basis. I'll give you one, one silly example. It's a very easy one. If you, when you eat your meals, if you make sure to do so, not with your phone in front of you, not in front of your computer, not distracted by the TV, if you just sit down in quiet and focus on your food, studies consistently show that you'll consume about 15% less calories. That's mm. it. Easy. So instead of telling someone, hey, cut your calories by 15%, just do this. When you eat, don't be distracted and eat like you normally would. And you'll, and you'll naturally eat less. Here's another one. Avoid heavily processed foods. That's it. In fact, it was one of my favorite tricks. I used to do this with my clients. I, used, I loved doing this is I would tell them, I'm not going to put you on a diet. In fact, I want you to eat as much as you want. Just one thing, avoid foods that come in boxes or wrappers or that are processed, but eat all the whole natural foods that you want. And then they would start to lose weight. And then they'd come to me and be like, what's going on? I didn't know that, you know, there was like this magic that had to do with whole natural foods. And then I would tell them. And again, we have studies that really well-made crossover studies that support this. If you do that naturally, even if you eat as much as you, even if you lead, you reach the same level of satiety that you did before, you'll eat about 500 calories less a day mm. consistently. Easy. Here's one more. If you have a trigger food or trigger foods, we all do right? For my wife, it's chocolate. For me, it's potato chips. I, potato chips are there. I think about them and then eventually I eat them, right? Here's what, I, here's, here's another one. It's a great one. You can eat those foods. Just don't have them in the house. So mm. your favorite trigger food is chocolate. If you want chocolate, don't keep it in the house, drive to the store and buy yourself a single serving of chocolate. And all you're doing is you're putting a barrier between you and an impulsive behavior. And I don't have to, you don't have to do anything else. Naturally, through that period of time that it takes you to want that impulsive behavior, and then I've got 15 minutes or whatever to get to the store, naturally that space creates a little bit of awareness. And you naturally see behaviors start to modify on their own. And I talk about much more in the book um, in terms of nutrition, things that I found to be sustainable, long-term that create behaviors that don't feel like you're restricting yourself or I'm counting things or I've, I'm hyper-focused on everything that I'm eating, but tend to naturally create balance with our nutrition. Yeah, great stuff, Sal. Really great tips for everybody. And guys, he's got a lot of great pictures in here too. If you're looking to really understand how to do these movements properly in the book, he's got great little guides that really show you how to do it. So definitely check it out, The Resistance Training Revolution. Also check out Sal at Mind Pump Podcast and mindpumpmedia.com. You guys have uh, video exercise trainings and different things like that that really help you get this down right. And this is a skill, like Sal was saying, learning how to, doing, learning how to do resistance training properly is a skill that will improve your mood, your memory, your lean body mass, um, help support hormones that uh, keep aging under control and help you age gracefully and uh, really thrive in life. So developing this skill is important. Make this your year to develop the skill of resistance training. Check out the book. Check out Mind Pump Media. Sal, thanks so much for your time. And we'll see you guys on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.
Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.